Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 12. The book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. If you would stand with me as we read God's word, you can find the text on the screen, or you can flip to it in your Bible. This is God's word. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. If you would, lift your hands with me as we come to God in prayer. Lord, we pray that right now you would add understanding to our hearing and that you would add to our understanding obedience and that you would add to our obedience love. We pray that you would do a great work in here this morning, no matter where we find ourselves on the spiritual spectrum, that we would hear your voice, that we would see something of what it means to know you and be known by you. And that Jesus would be lifted up in this time. We pray that you would lead us to him by your grace and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. During my final year, my final year of high school, uh, I learned that I had been accepted at New York University. And before we actually started, there was... NYU's freshman orientation. And I was going to be making the move from what we affectionately call uh, Western Pennsylvania all the way to the Big Apple, New York City. I was going from the country to the city. I, I was making a transition in life. And when I got to NYU's freshman orientation, uh, there were the predictable things that happened at this orientation. You know, they, they gave us tours of the campus and, and showed us where all the buildings were. Uh, they let us know how the, the meal plans worked and, and where the dining halls were to be found. They showed us how to, how to register for our, our classes. But then there, there were the less obvious aspects to orientation in which our, our guides began to spell out for us what life in New York City would be like. And about halfway through orientation, I, I had this, this unexpected realization. Uh, for some strange reason, I was, I was under the impression that this transition to NYU was only going to be a change in one aspect of my life, the academic aspect of my life, and that the rest of my life would continue on the same as usual. I was under the impression that somehow I would be able to carry the old life from Western Pennsylvania to New York City. That there was only gonna be a small sliver of the pie that is the, the life of Russ Whitfield that would be affected by this transition. Everything else would remain the same. I treated this transition like it was, like it was an isolated thing. But it became clear during orientation that this wasn't just gonna involve a change in the academic aspect of my life. This was going to be an entirely new life altogether. This, this wasn't going to be an isolated 
transition. More, more, much more than my academic life was going to be affected. My life would not be the same as it was back in Pennsylvania. When we're accepted by God and brought into union with Jesus Christ by faith, there's a sort of orientation that we experience, an orientation to what faith means. Now, for some of you, that was a formal orientation. You went through like a, 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 new, a new Christian class, or you were exposed uh, to, to, the, to the newness of your faith in a formal way. But for others of us, it's less formal. We kind of find our way around it. We have this, this beginning orientation. And this orientation involves some predictable things like regular attendance at worship, reading your Bible regularly, and praying regularly. These are the obvious things, right? Like this is, this is an obvious aspect of what it means to have faith. But as I look at the landscape of the church through my pastoral lenses, it can be plainly seen that Christians have the mistaken idea, many Christians have the mistaken idea that faith only involves a change to a small, isolated part of their life called their spiritual life. That cute, quaint, little, tiny pocket of your life. And that the rest of your life remains unaffected. That there's this, there's this prevailing idea that is obvious if you just look at the landscape of American Christianity. There's this obvious idea that you can hold on to the old life and leave that unaffected by your faith. And the only thing that is touched is your spiritual life. We imagine that the rest of our lives can stay the same. You hear people talk about having strong faith while they maintain the same old ambitions, the same captivity to money, and the same selfish and individualistic mode of life. But if you venture to explore, to ascend the mountain range that is union with Christ, that is the salvation of God, if you begin to make your way up into these mountains, you will begin to see that nothing could be further from the truth. That biblical faith is an all-pervasive thing. That, that biblical faith involves a change in the entirety of your life in every aspect and at every turn. It's an orientation to an altogether new life. So here's my question for you this morning. What is the state of your faith? What is the state of your faith? And here's the second question. And how do you assess the state of your faith? I'm going to give you a hint. The state of your faith is not, it's not merely how firmly you believe things that are written in the Bible. Faith is more than that. And so what I want to get into this morning is faith. We've been walking through a series called Saved. And what we've been doing is we've been, we've been climbing up to the various peaks of the mountain range. We opened up the series with an image. 
that, that the entirety of our salvation can be captured by this idea, union with Christ. Union with Christ is a mountain range. And in that mountain range, there are various peaks called calling, regeneration, sanctification, adoption. We climb up the various peaks. And what the peak that we are going to explore today is faith. And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to get into... Uh, what it is, what it looks like when God effectually calls a person, he regenerates them and then they respond. What, what does faith look like? What's it look like when God regenerates a person, drawing them into union with Christ? What is, what is the reaction after God initiates his saving work? And for this, we turn to the father of faith, Abraham. And we're going to see today that faith is a new orientation and a new realization. Faith is a new orientation and a new realization. So let's look at our first point. Faith is a new orientation. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, or even if, if you are, there is some architecture that is, that is going on in the book of Genesis that leads up to our passage for this morning. We're in Genesis 12, but you need to appreciate what has happened before this. Briefly, I'm going to say this. Genesis chapters 3 through 11, they tell the story of the spiral of humanity downward, out of control, into destruction and ugliness after humanity turns their back on God. And, and, and one of the ways that this is communicated by the narrator is that you go from Adam and Eve disobeying the word of God. Then it takes a step further to the story of Cain and Abel, one brother killing another brother. And it continues on to the point that we get to Genesis chapter six. And in this short span of three chapters, we come to learn, according to the narrator, that, that when it comes to the assessment of humanity, their thoughts were only evil all the time. That was the blanket assessment of humanity. Only evil all the time. And so God judges justly as he has the right to do. And he brings a flood. But God's judgment does not come without a glimmer of hope. Because God preserves a family. Because he is not going to give up on his plan. You know what God's plan B is? See plan A. He's going to work out his plans on the earth. And you wind up with Noah and his three sons starting over again. And the, li the line of promise is continued. But before long, after this fresh start, we wind up in the story of Babel in chapter 11. And you know what the story of Babel is about? These people building a tower to go up to the heavens to make a name for themselves. And the entire purpose of this, this whole building project is this. You can reduce that whole story to this. It was a self-salvation project. They wanted to build a tower to get up to the heavens. Here's the, here's the big picture. Humanity is trying to climb their way up to God. And God judges that action because he says you can never bridge the gap. Humanity can't make their way up to me. I must come down. 
God judges by scattering their languages and scattering them as a people. This is what's happening in the lead up. And when chapter 11 gets to Abram's family, to his situation, we are at the peak of hopelessness. And why are we at the peak of hopelessness? Because Abram's family worships the Mesopotamian moon god. His father, Terah, is named after a Mesopotamian moon god. And not only does the family worship the Mesopotamian moon god, but they live in a city that is the center of this idolatrous lunar worship. They worship from their hearts this lunar deity. They are living in a city completely surrounded by this worship of a lunar deity. But not only this, the text lets us know that Abraham's, Abram's wife Sarai is barren in a time where this was absolutely devastating. It wasn't just a crushing of your dreams because you wanted to have a family. It, was, it, was, it put you in a state of insecurity because the elderly survived by the care of their children. That's how they were protected. That's why it was called many arrows in the quiver. It was protection to have children, but his wife is barren. And not only this, we learn at the end of chapter 11 that Abram's father has just died. We're at peak hopelessness. No hope, no foreseeable future, no power to turn things around. His life is a dead end, literally. And then God speaks. Then God speaks. Verse 1, check it out. God comes and speaks to Abram, and he says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And right here, we are beginning to see the nature of faith. Verse 4 tells us very simply, And Abram went. And Abram went. What is faith? What is faith? You got to begin to to understand faith by looking at the scope of the call that God issues to Abram here. Look at the big picture perspective that we're looking at to get the essential insights into faith. Look at it. Faith is a leaving of an old country. Faith is a reordering of loves that govern your life. Faith is an exchange of your securities. Faith is not localized to one particular area of life. It is globalized through every aspect of life. Biblical faith is totalizing. It's a holistic reorientation. There is absolutely no aspect of your life that is off limits. Faith is characterized in these ways so much so that to remain in the old country with the old order of loves, with the old securities, can scarcely be called biblical faith. You hear me? To remain in the old country with the old ordering of your loves, with the old priorities and the old securities, is to be in a situation that you can scarcely call biblical faith. 
This is important in our cultural context because much of American Christianity holds to a cheap version of faith that is something far less than holistic. Much of American Christianity uh, treats faith as something far less than holistic. I want you to look at the text. Just look on the bare face of the text. Because remember, Abram is called the father of faith by the apostles, by Jesus. So there's something in the life of Abram that is instructive, not only in the call, but in his response. But look at this. God doesn't come to improve Abram's idolatrous life in Haran. He doesn't come to improve the old life. He doesn't come to spruce up Abram's old life. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't come to add amenities to his old life. He doesn't come to accessorize Abram's old life. God doesn't come to Abram as a dash of hot sauce on some bland food. God doesn't come as Frank's original. He doesn't come as sriracha. He is the main entree. God calls Abram to a new life altogether. It's an entirely new orientation to everything in response to the initiating call of God. So here's the deal. What is faith? Faith is a new turning, an orientation of the entirety of who you are. It's not a parceling out. It's not a divvying up of various aspects of your life that you will let God into and other aspects that are absolutely off limits. It's all or nothing is what we're seeing in this text. Faith mutes the lies of the world and cranks the volume on the promises of God. That's what faith does. Faith is to orient in such a way that you're beginning a new life. It's a, distinct, it's a distinct difference in life. It's a leaving and cleaving. You've heard that language in, in re relationship to marriage. And it's appropriate to think of that when it comes to God. Leaving and cleaving because it's a covenant relationship of the highest order. Leaving and cleaving. So if you want to know how strong or how weak your faith is. The difference between strong faith, small faith, and no faith is the degree to which your life is oriented to God and all of his promises. Who he is and all of his promises. It's the degree to which your life and your affections and your will and your mind and your relationships and everything about you is turned to him. It's orientation. It's not giving yourself a lot of credit for meaning well. Strong faith is not good intentions without action. Strong faith is not fretting all week about how you're going to accumulate amenities and not giving. Strong faith, giving financially to the local church, and to your neighbors. Strong faith is not being embarrassed about what God communicates as life in this book 
because you're afraid of what the culture may say about you. Strong faith is not being God's editor. God doesn't need an editor. He doesn't. He calls the shots. That's what it means to be king. Kings do not have to um, get the permission of their subjects. And that is a hard thing for those who live in a democratic society to appreciate. Faith recognizes a king when it sees one and responds to kingly authority, responds to kingly love and protection. That's what we see in Abram. To be clear, in Scripture, faith is about an entire shift in your mode of existence. God defines it all. He defines what's enough. He defines what love is. Not the culture. He defines what service is. He defines what relationships should look like. And faith orients to everything that he lays down. He promises. Faith responds. Faith reorients. It's a casting of your whole life upon God with all of the glorious consequences. A casting of your entire life. It's not flipping God a few coins worth of your life and thinking that you can buy yourself a little bit of room from him. It's he gets it all. That's faith, biblically. Orientation. So, the way in which you begin to assess the state of your faith is by working through the various aspects of your life and saying, how much or how little is this aspect of my life oriented to who God says he is and what God promises he will do? Work through it. What about your work life? How much or how little is your work life oriented to who God is and what God says he will do? How much of your marital life or relational ambitions are aligned to who God says he is and what God says he will do? How much of your parenting is aligned to who God says he is and what God says he will do? How much of your financial planning is oriented to who God is and what God says he will do? How much of your dreaming for the future is oriented about, around who God is and what God says he will do? How much of your relating with people across the aisle is oriented by who God is and what God says he will do. Therein lies your answer to the, to the state of your faith. Everything about you that God renews in regeneration, as Pastor Joel talked about last week, every single 
aspect about you that God renews in regeneration is reoriented to life with him. That's faith. Your mind, your will, your emotions, and your affections to start. So if you get in there and you find out that you love money more than you love God, the prayer is, help my unbelief. And then bring your community into it and enact faith. See, here's the deal. God calls effectively. Uh, God regenerates, but God does not believe. We believe. Faith is our responsibility. Don't wait for God. It's a gift, but you must unwrap it. It's a gift, but you must activate it. And you know how you activate faith? When you say, God has said this, God revealed himself to be this, my life in no way reflects that, so now I'm going to make a decision to make my life reflect that. So you take something specific, like what you do with your money, and God says he will be my provider, but my life does not reflect that I believe that or that God is that, or that God has promised that he will supply all my needs according to the riches of his glorious grace. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a plan in place so that I can actually start leaning on those promises. Because if you look at the grand architecture of the text, God blesses us to be a blessing. You are not meant to be a cul-de-sac of blessing. A thoroughfare, it gets to us and goes through us so that God may be glorified, so that the nations may be glad. This was God's plan for Israel. This was God's plan for his people. It always has been and it always will be God's plan for his people. And he provides the promises that give you the assurance that you can do that and never fall through the cracks. You can do that and never slip off the father's radar. Because his promises are true. Faith doesn't take God as, as a part of life. It takes God as life itself. But here's a question. What led Abram to this new orientation? That brings us to our second point. Faith is a new realization. And what I mean by that is this. When God called Abram, in that moment, he came to the realization that the one who called him was more trustworthy, was a firmer foundation, was more stable and reliable than anything he had in Haran. God was more trustworthy. He, he, faith is not something that you will up and try to whip up in your own life. Faith is the result of seeing the trustworthiness of the object of faith. You, you, begin, you begin to orient your life. This new orientation comes when you have the new realization of who he is and what he's like. And when you look around at the promises of God, you realize that nary a one of them has fallen to the ground unanswered. You can't find a single promise of God that has hit the ground. 
God has never failed. Failure is not in God's vocabulary when it comes to his people. Failure is not on God's resume when he lays down before you all the reasons why you should trust him. He shows you an entire history in which he deals with his people in love, in patience, where he steps in for the defenseless, where he provides security for the vulnerable, where he steps up for the needy and provides, where he says, stand back, I'll fight your battle, where he steps up and he has giants slain by little men. You, you see, this is the, the, the resume of God that is meant to inspire more faith. He promises, and you realize just who he is, who has promised. That's what leads you to the new realization, I mean the new orientation. It's not generated out of the one who exercises faith, but it is shaped and dominated and characterized by the object of faith. That's God. In that calling... God appeared to Abraham more reliable, more believable, more credible than anything or anyone else out there. So here's the choice that you're faced with. I keep picking on money because it's an important one. It just is. This is the choice you're faced with. Your life will either say, that your 401k is more reliable or God is more reliable. It's that simple. Your, your life will either say that your mission is more important or God's mission is more important. There's always a choice that you're making. Whenever your life is not oriented in faith, to the Lord, it's oriented somewhere else. And whatever it is you're oriented to, that is the thing you trust. Make no mistake. Even if you don't believe in God or don't believe that God exists, you have functional gods that you trust to provide for you, to deliver you, to save you from whatever it is you feel threatened by, whether that's insignificance or loneliness Sex is a God that is worshiped in our culture and people worship it because they believe that it can save them from their loneliness and their emptiness. Guess what? It can't. And sex is good, but it's like fire. Fire in the fireplace? Well, I, all the kids around here, I know I got an amen in here. Fire on your couch, no bueno, right? No good. The covenant context, that's the, that's the situation. Faith. Now, you can run down through every single facet of your life. Are you oriented to the one who promises? The life of Abram shows us that faith has a cumulative effect as well, all right? That's an important thing. You get to greater, stronger faith over time as you continually trust in the Lord again and again. Every new challenge, every new trial, every new day is an opportunity to cast yourself, your whole self upon the Lord and his promises, expecting to find him faithful. 
And when you do, as you inevitably do, you always find him faithful when you cast your life on him. When you find him faithful, when you do that first time where you've been giving nothing and you begin to give something, you find him reliable and you say, hey, his promises are true. And then the next time Sunday rolls around or the next time a neighbor says, I'm in a jam. Can you help me? And you're tempted to orient your life to your own ambitions. And you say, you just turn the car back around. You say, no, I'm going to orient to the Lord's promises and calling. And I'm going to serve my neighbors. And you come out on the other side. And you say, wow, it's, it's like Jesus is right. It's, it is more blessed to give than receive. It's money in the bank, so to speak. You dig? This is what we're saying. It's a cumulative effect. But guess what? If you never begin to save... You never become rich. That makes sense? If you never begin to add experience of trust and answer of God, and another experience of faith and answer of God, it's like money in the, in the bank of faith. If you, never, if you never step out, your faith remains weak. You remain disoriented from God. And I, I've, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. You, another facet as well is you do not become more oriented to God. You do not grow strong in faith by being more acquainted with the daily news than you are with the good news. Okay? That's important. What are you feeding your soul with? Are you, are you nursing on the promises of God? Are you nursing yourself on the character of God? That he's a rock. That he's a strong tower. That the saints of old said, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. That's good news. To, to draw out this cumulative effect, I'm closing. How many times have you experienced something like this? You make a suggestion to a friend or a family member and they say, are you sure? And you say, I've done it a thousand times. I've done this a thousand times. I'm confident. Trust me. It's that, I mean, you have that experience in life all the time. And it's that testimony that God's people should have when it comes to trusting in his promises and growing in our faith. Should I trust God with my money, friend? Psh, I've done it a thousand times. Yes, do it. Should I trust God with my kids? Psh, yes, I've done it a thousand times. Yes, he's, he's, he's true to his promises. Should I trust God with my career? Psh, I've done it a thousand times. There should be a, a million testimonies coming out of the community of faith that God is trustworthy and true. Those who walk by faith can bear witness to the world about the trustworthiness of God. We've done it a thousand times and he has never failed us. He has never broken a single promise. And I have zero indication that he's going to begin breaking promises now. Zero indication. And here's the challenging thing for us this morning as I close. Abram couldn't see the promise entirely fulfilled. He couldn't see it. He got the, the many experiences of it. But God promised him so much more. And the good news for us, the challenging word for us is this. We should have greater faith than Abram had, even Abram had, because we don't just have the promise. We don't just have the one who makes the promise. We have the one who fulfills the promise. 
Paul says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And to this we give our amen. We have the one who fulfilled. We know that God is certain. The surest indication that God will not drop on his promises to you is that he fulfilled the greatest promise of all in Jesus Christ. Faith is reorienting to our union with Christ. You're united to him. The power of him who was, who was raising Christ from the dead is at work in your life. He's available to you. My acceptance to NYU didn't just affect my academic life. It changed everything about me and who I'd become. And if acceptance to college could register such a significant transformation in my life. How much more should the acceptance of God in Jesus by faith alone reorient us, retool us, refashion us, and remake us in every aspect of our lives? Action item for you to walk away with. Based upon what we've spoken about today, I want you to go and talk to those who are closest to you today or this week. And I want you to ask them for a 100% honest assessment. As someone in my community who loves me, how would you assess the state of my faith? And where am I less oriented to who God is and what God has promised to do? Where do I need to reorient myself to the promises of God? Invite that honesty. It will be an invitation that you will not regret if you begin to reorient. You may need to expose some more things in your life. But by all means, reorient. The only way we will actually see the tangible evidence being worked out, that all the things we say we want, right? We have to, we have to grow in our orientation. There's this widespread phenomenon. Everyone wants to see the church doing more things and no one wants to sign up. And then guess who gets the grief, right? Typically the people who show up. See, that is an orientation thing. Instead of building your life around your career, what if you began to build your life around the Lord and the fellowship of the saints and the service of the mission that we have before us in this neighborhood? Reorient and take it into prayer. Ask God. I believe, but... Help my unbelief and ask him to expose areas where you are not oriented. You're disoriented. Ask him to expose it and then make an action plan and, and share it with your community so that you can be held accountable. Let's, let's pray for grace to trust him more. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the hope that is in Christ and we ask that you would help our lives to be more oriented to who you are and what you've promised to do. We pray, Father, that those of us who have small faith would not despair because even small faith finds a great Savior. But we, but we do pray that you would help us to grow up in faith and stop, stop remaining content to be toddlers. You, you have, in your word, called out the immature who remain in immaturity and see things through the wrong eyes, to grow up in their faith like newborn babes, to crave the milk of the word, but to grow up into adulthood 
So Lord, we pray for that in our community and that as we mature, our mission would mature and this church would grow in the most important ways. We pray for these things in Jesus' name, amen.